You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. We are, like Rachel was saying, we are thinking about connections um, this season and how, you know, the world is always dividing people up into categories endlessly and um, separating systems and ideas. And sometimes that's really useful um, for learning and for thinking about things. But I think it, it often get, ends up giving people this false sense of isolation um, because what, what Jesus is actually doing is bringing people together through his people, connecting everybody who wants to be part of the movement. Um, so that, that's, what we're, that's what we're trying to get into with Jesus. And today I want to dig a little deeper and I want to talk about um, how our bodies and souls are actually connected because we're often sold a pretty disembodied worldview, I think. Um, I think God is calling us to notice how everything affects every other thing so that we can be more empowered to act to bring this unity. So what got me thinking about the connection between bodies and souls this week was toilet paper, above all things. The, the company Charmin is making this giant roll of toilet paper now um, called the Forever Roll, and they are marketing it to millennials, um, you know, supposedly that social category of people born um, anywhere around 1980 to 2000. Um, because they say that millennials are less likely to buy homes with lots of bathroom storage um, for extra toilet paper. They're often stuck in tiny urban apartments, delaying marriage and children, and suffering, I'm quoting this article, and suffering from such burnout that the simple task of remembering to buy toilet paper once a week is often too hard. So the article I read was called Millennials Are Finally Getting the Giant Roll of Toilet Paper They Deserve. And I think it was meant to be funny, but it actually made me a little mad that marketers are, you know, preying on my millennial friends. I I only miss that category by a little bit. You know, preying, preying on my millennial friends and their difficulties, especially financially, since it's not their fault that the baby boomers sucked up all the money in the system. But it also got me thinking about this trend. Um, Yes, thank you, Paul. It it got me thinking about this trend that we really do see um, toward more people living alone, less, less people getting marriage, and statistically even less sex. I don't know how I don't know how researchers measure this stuff, um, but it's out there. What's that, Ben? Self report. Yeah. So who knows what's actually true? But I, I think I, I wonder if all these things might be interrelated. That people are are more hesitant um, to connect and commit with others, even with organizations, um, and and often for good reason, right? There's, there's, we, we don't even know what to believe on the news. Lots of us, I, I might say all of us, have been hurt in relationships 
We don't really know who to trust. Um, the government is kind of wild. We've seen lots of divorce. And we continue to see lots of divorce, probably even in our own families. Relationships we've tried haven't worked out. Technology and the economy actually allow, you know, and even encourage this individual isolation. And so more and more, I think people really see themselves as kind of solitary pieces of this big machine. But the truth is that we're human beings, right? Very complex, beautifully designed in body, heart, mind, and soul. There's so much more to us than meets the eye. We're, we know we are so much more than the physical matter that we're made of. We dream, we feel, you know, even when we try to shut that down, even the most rational, intellectual, and practical people among us know that there's this space in us that transcends time. There's this place in human beings that, that knows God, that recognizes what is holy. There's this part of us that, I think, that, that knows we are eternal. And, and some people feel that, you know, when they hear a song that touches them or um, see a movie, somebody else's story that they can get into or they connect with a child or look at the stars um, or help someone. That's when we know there's more to us than we know. And our Sunday meeting plan describes the soul as our spiritual awareness, where we most deeply connect with God, the life in us that transcends time, the seat of sorrow, joy, and suffering. So you can see if you look at that definition um, that we experience and nurture and relate to the soul almost all the time um, through the body, as well as, as well as through our mind and heart, if we want to think of it like, um, like the Bible laid out to love, love God with all our hearts, souls, minds, spirits. They're, they're intrinsically connected. But we definitely um, experience the soul through the body, right? We see the stars. We hear a song with our ears. We experience sorrow and joy through embodied relationships with others, I hope. So a huge part of the way that we relate to God and know God or not is through the body. And I, I apologize if this sounds like super basic to you, um, but I think it's worth talking about But because um, we've, been, we've been sold such a disembodied worldview um, human, human beings have always divided things up, probably because of fear of not getting our needs met. But I'm, I'm concerned that Greek, this idea from Greek, as much as I love the Greeks, Greek philosophy really informed the theology of the church early on. And I don't think it was good. And I think that we are, are still, we still might be re reacting to that. So right around the time that um, the movement of Jesus followers were starting to grow, um, Plato, this guy, and his buddies came in with this philosophy that the soul and body are two distinct entities. 
The soul is immortal. The body is not. That's what he said. Um, this is not what the Bible writers say, and this is certainly not what we what we know from the resurrected person of Christ. But people ran with Plato's ideas anyway. Um, I think because they felt they felt more comfortable with that judgment and separation around the physical. You know, he said that the body was only about self gratification and thus. irredeemable. And so this began hundreds of years of repression of women and, you know, exclusion of of anyone else they found sexually deviant, and it it elevated leaders of the church that didn't marry, right? That's still going on. I I think all all somehow connected to this, like, devaluing of the body, And so this is how we get Augustine saying that original sin is from the sex act. And I think it's even how we get a concept like zombies today. Sorry if you love zombie movies. Um, But that bodies can be without souls. I think that's that's what's scary about zombies, right? Because um, it's not true. The body and the soul are actually connected. And I think we know this in our hearts, and we, we certainly see it in the person of Jesus. And I think this, this is why sex is a big deal, because the body and the soul are connected. You know, I think Plato kind of sensed that, and um, he was trying to get rid of it, to, to minimize it in order to control it. But the Bible writers recognize its power and beauty as part of creation and and talk about it as this gift from God to be expressed in a covenant, in a covenant of love, an agreement of ongoing faithfulness um, like Jesus makes with us. So I think this is is how we get burned um, when we use our sexuality in ways that don't reflect this kind of long-term uh, and and build on this long-term covenant of love that 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 God is trying to make with all people. You know, when we when we believe this cultural lie that it's just casual, it's just whatever, we forget that our souls are somehow there too. Intrinsically connected, no matter how much we try to divide, you know, no matter how divided we try to be in our minds. And now even brain science and Eastern medicine are um, proving how the connections are deeper than we think. We're, we're, all, we're, all, pretty, we're all deeper than we think. And uh, we matter, I think, more than we think we do. We are more valuable than we think we are. Um, so, so culturally, I think what we've seen is... Um, uh, a, a rebellion against all those years of of this kind of devaluing philosophy um, and repression, even within the church. But I'm not I'm not sure that just doing whatever we want actually gets us to a place of knowing ourselves any better. So I think we need to ask the Creator these big questions again and again, like. Um, 
like St. Francis's question, who are you, God, and who am I? Of course we can do whatever we want, but what is actually good for us as created beings with these soulful bodies? How can we, how can we care for our bodies and souls to strengthen each other? I think it's a good question because figuring, figuring out what's good for us as individuals actually strengthens the whole body because we're connected like that through the spirit. And I think conversely, we hurt the community when we don't know and do what's best for us as individuals, as created people. So the Bible spells lots of things out for us about about what is good, but I I like how Paul here in his letter to the Ephesians um, points out that this is a matter of ongoing discernment. Even as he's telling us all these things that are good good for us to do, um, I highlighted there um, what jumped out at me this week is that, that we... We're each called to have an ongoing relationship with God to keep figuring this out. We each have the spirit. And um, we're called to keep relating to God, to know what's best for us and for the common good. So can someone read it out loud for us? This is an excerpt from Ephesians 5. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of grief because these are improper for God's holy people. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord and live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord has nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5. Thank you, Joe. I, I love that Paul gives us at the end here like something real practical that we can do. We can sing. If nothing else, we can sing. And we're going to get a chance to do that um, a little later. But I, I have a few takeaway suggestions for continuing um, to do this this part in white, for continuing to discern how God is calling us to care for our bodies and souls together. And the first one is, um, God wants you to live. God is for you. 
And I suppose that sounds obvious, but this actually really surprised me when I became a Christian. Um, I think I was so used to like fighting for my life or something as a woman, like feeling repressed, um, that I was suddenly surprised at how much I wanted to live. I, I suddenly didn't want to jump off cliffs and do all the dumb like adventure sport stuff that, um, not that adventure sports are dumb, but I just was reckless about it. I didn't want to do that anymore because I actually like valued my life for the first time. I had this sense that God wanted me to live, to share his love, um, and it wasn't worth giving, giving it up for some momentary thrill. Secondly, um, and this also might sound obvious, the body is not the enemy. Um, but I think that some of us grew up uh, in, in places where we heard that those scriptures used about like the flesh being at war with the spirit and the body defined as flesh, the, the flesh in that context doesn't mean just the, the physical material that we're made of. When, when Paul talks about the works of the flesh, he, his list um, actually could be perfectly well um, practiced by a disembodied spirit. Like he's talking about anger and malice, pride, jealousy, so what the flesh means, I think, is not, is not just physicality, but it's, it's this rebellion against God. It's a human being rebelling against God. And I think that's what needs to be resisted, rebellion against God. And, and, and I think, you know, for, for most of us, that usually starts as something that, look, that looks and is really good, Right? But we're tempted to use things and people on our own terms or for, like, momentary gain, you know, a, a shot of momentary comfort or, like, an artificial boost to our um, self-esteem. And so then we, and then people get stuck in these patterns of rebellion that start to feel like the real us, right? When, in fact, I think they're just us getting used to taking something good out of context and elevating it above God to get um, to get some little jolt instead of this like long this uh, sustenance for the long journey that I think our souls really crave. So I think we need to feed our souls as much as we do our bodies um, and we do that with and through our bodies too. That's my point. It's all connected. If you could make a list of the things that really feed your soul, think for a minute about things that really feed your soul. I bet they involve your body, too. Our bodies are not the enemy, but rather an intrinsic part of this, this whole journey of faith and knowing God and serving God. So lastly, I think that knowing and doing what's good for us requires knowing something about um, our, our nature, our rebellious nature, and letting God turn that around and use it for good. Like, if somebody says, like, whatever you do, don't think about chocolate, what are you going to think about? 
I'm going to think about chocolate if somebody tells me not to. I think that that following Jesus call, you know, calls us beyond rebelling against the church and our, and our parents into the real, um, the real battle of rebellion with the forces of death and destruction in the world. Um, if you need a look at some of those forces, I, I, I made them as I saw in the inquiry yesterday about the, the Kensington, uh, beaches, Instagram account. And looked at it for um, just a minute, and it just it will break your heart to see like human beings being used and abused by opiate addiction. Um, I couldn't even bring myself to put a slide up here about it, but I do think the time is ripe to kind of to get beyond and i and i know we're already doing this as a church but to get beyond our our rebellious reactions to our parents or the church of the past um like it's like there's some like parental authority figure uh trying to run us over or keep us from having fun because i think jesus is actually dying to offer himself to us as a brother as a partner sharing his power and authority with us. So discerning what's good for us and and what God is calling us to do, I think, also calls us beyond these dualistic ways of of viewing the world, like um, like all these people and things are good and all these people and things are bad. I think following Jesus calls us to get beyond that binary, and we you know we see this all over the government, right? There's good and evil, of course, but um, I think treating people and things like like in that binary can can set us up for uh, either either like spiritual pride, like thinking we're better than everybody else, or or like a, a self hatred almost when we fail to live up to those standards. So I think that getting into the real rebellion with Jesus calls us to notice, um, perhaps painfully and over a long period, like what it is about each of us that um, is hurt or in pain. Um, And once, once we find that out, I think the call is to see that God longs to help us get well. And if you are... Anything like me that's going to take prayer and time and good counsel over the long haul. And I'm, gl- I'm glad we have that in our circle of hope. That's the only way I know not to confuse self, self-hatred with this very real self-denial that, that um, Jesus calls us to. And the irony is that, that the self-denial that Jesus calls us to is really this way of self-affirmation. You know, like kind of like Jesus in the wilderness was learning who he really was by having victory over his temptations. I think we can do that too and become more fully ourselves in him and stay with him on this, on this great journey of transforming the world with him. And when we fail like we will, God's love does not 
And it's his love, his kindness. It's his love that keeps calling us to more fully come alive with him to redeem the world. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.